Well, I think you can point out the obvious, right? We're going to take a break from the book of Revelation and instead look at the book of Leviticus. Now, I imagine some of you are thinking to yourself, okay, change of pace. Um, We're going from Armageddon, Revelation, right, to a book of the Bible that is quite literally, as you just saw, about God giving Israel one commandment after another. And he's given it to Israel. As a matter of fact, it was just before the Sunday service, the hospitality team was, was gathering, and, I, and they're all just about ready to pray, and I kind of butt myself, and I'm all excited, and I'm all, I had too much coffee this morning. And I'm like, who's ready to hear from Leviticus? And no joke, I think they all thought I was joking. And I'm like, no, really, who's ready to hear from Leviticus this morning? They're like, oh, he's, he's definitely not joking. I'm like, all right, here's the deal. Make extra coffee. And perhaps that can solve some of the problems. This last week, I was actually reminded that our own pastor, Rick Gamash, once said, and I'm paraphrasing, and he said this before he began the book of Revelation. So the book of Revelation isn't the most intimidating book for me to preach. It's Leviticus. <laughs> I'm just going to slide that in. All right. If I'm going to be honest, I understand why he said that. But don't worry. This morning is just going to be a temporary diversion, but I hope a helpful one for this local church. Because what Ruthie read in Leviticus 19 can prepare this church for what is next as we look to plant our flag in a community in Burnsville, a a place that is full of physical and spiritual strangers. So my hope and prayer is that the Holy Spirit would use this sermon to help us think well about loving the people around us, loving the people we encounter on a daily basis. You can see the flow of my sermon from, this, from the title, The Holiness of Hospitality. If I'm, saying that, if I'm saying that hospitality, as it's defined in the Bible, is a holy activity, we first got to understand holiness. This seems like an odd connection because we often associate holiness with fighting sin and becoming sanctified. That is, say, disciples of Jesus Christ fight remaining sin in order to become more holy. But if you desire to live a holy life, God not only requires you to say no, like saying no to sin, right? But also say yes to what God commands. And as it pertains to today's message, we need to say yes to loving strangers who live among us. And it's this biblical statement that I want to tease out and focus in on this morning. So I want to spend a moment talking about holiness, especially as it pertains to the book of Leviticus, its connection to the cross of Jesus Christ. And then I'm going to spend the majority of my time focusing in on Leviticus 19. Don't worry, we're not going over all of it. But Leviticus 19, verses 33 and 34. And we're going to see how that connects with the New Testament, what the New Testament calls hospitality. Okay? So that's kind of the direction we're going this morning. I had Ruthie read all of Leviticus 19 so that you could see the context of verses 33 and 34. I, I grant that it was long, but, it was, but it's important. 
chapter 19 and the entire book of Leviticus can be summed up with one word, holiness. It's about God's holiness, and it's about God's call to his people to also be holy. In a sense, the book of Leviticus was a how-to book. It told Israel how to be holy. Leviticus 11.44 says to Israel, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. And the theological theme of holiness is stated again, and we heard it already in chapter 19. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation, to all the people of Israel, and say to them, you shall be holy, for I am the Lord, your God, am holy. The New Testament affirms God's holiness and our call to holiness in passages such as, but not limited to, 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16. It says this, as obedient children. He's talking, God's talking to his sons and daughters. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, and he's quoting Leviticus here, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So at the very least, we can say that holiness is a theological thread that begins in the Pentateuch. It runs itself all the way through the scriptures. And how does God's holiness and our holiness connect? One commentator says it like this. God's holiness means that he is different, other than, and he is unique in that he is perfectly righteous. God calls us to be different, other than, in that we live righteously. So just as God is utterly different, God's people are called to be different as well. We are called to be different from the world where sin prevails. We are called to be different by taking on specific attributes of God. To say it from a new covenant perspective, followers of God are, are supposed to be Christ-like or little Christ. Jonathan Edwards, um, the eminent pastor and theologian from the 18th century, said this about holiness, and it still applies today. Holiness is a most beautiful and lovely thing. We drink in strange notions of holiness from our childhood as if it were a melancholy, morose, sour, and unpleasant thing. But there is nothing in it but what is sweet and lovely. What Edwards is saying is that when we come to the book of Leviticus, in particular chapter 19, we need to see the grandeur of God's holiness along with the sweetness of pursuing holiness so that we can be God-like. God gave Israel the law so that they could be other than and holy. That's why the law was given. That's why we read it. But this is what we know about Israel in the Old Testament, and this is what we know about ourselves, too. God called Israel to obey and be holy, and of course, Israel regularly, constantly disobeyed God by not following the law time and again. And here lies the problem of pursuing holiness. Israel cannot live up to the law and deserve to be condemned. We cannot live up to the standard and deserve to be condemned. Therefore, and this therefore is 
vitally important. Therefore, in the fullness of time, God sent God the Son to provide a way for his people to be reconciled to a holy God. God provided a way for his people to, made, to be made righteous. And becoming holy and pursuing holiness is only possible through believing in the crucified and resurrected Christ. Now again, this is, this is the foundation for which I will be talking about here in a moment regarding hospitality. We have to get this. What is holiness? What does that mean for us in light of who God is? Without Christ, a person is debilitated by their sin. Without Christ, there is no possibility of living in a way that honors a holy, sinless, utterly other than God. But when God gives a person faith and they repent of sin and turn to Jesus as their all-satisfying joy, a dead heart is made alive and everything changes. Forgiveness is granted, a soul is purchased, eternal life is ahead, a sinner is made righteous. A sinner is all of a sudden other than, just as God is other than. When a sinner is redeemed by the blood of Jesus, a person standing before God is immediately changed, and progressively we continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, Philippians 2. 12. Being made holy happened at the moment you were saved, and being made holy continues to happen as saved sinners in the power of the Holy Spirit pursue God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so, our pursuit of holiness is the context of today's passage. But you can't pull out verses 33 and 34 without understanding what's going on all around it. So the command we read in verses 33 and 34 present us with an interesting juxtaposition. On the one hand, pursuing holiness means Israel and now the church is separate and other than from the world around. At the same time, Israel and now the church is supposed to be the most loving and hospitable people, which includes extending love and hospitality to strangers. And as a church, if we master this command, if we drink it in, we will be a blessing to our surrounding community, a blessing to one another, and a gospel light to those living in darkness. So with that as the context of our verses in view, let's look deeper at verses 33 and 34 and pursue holiness as we set our mind on inviting strangers in and, and think well about being a hospitable people. There's verse 33 and 34 again. When a stranger sojourns with you in the land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you we're strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. The plain reading of verses 33 and 34 appear to be straightforward. Um, God calls his people to care for strangers. But who are the strangers among us? The Hebrew word for stranger gives us a little bit more clarity. A stranger is a temporary occupant 
I'm kind of defining this from the Hebrew, a temporary occupant or a newcomer to a community who lacks inherited rights. This is how Israel would have understood the word stranger. Someone who is a temporary occupant or a newcomer to a community who lacks inherited rights. So with that said, this is a good time to pause and make a clarifying statement. It doesn't take a genius to figure out where I could be going in regards to caring for a newcomer in our community who lacks inherited rights. So I want to make this very clear. I have absolutely no desire to be political or talk about immigration law. Frankly, it's more complicated than what I can understand. However, God's word is not complicated. And God's word is clear. In the negative, God says, do not do wrong to the stranger among you, verse 33. In the positive, we read in verse 34 that God's people are to care for strangers as if they are your very son, daughter, brother, or sister. The ESV rightly translates that we are to care for strangers as if they are a native born living among us, which means If there is a stranger sojourning among you, it does not matter if that person is a legal or illegal citizen in the United States. And hush fell over the crowd, right? You are called by God to love him or her as yourself. You were called to love that person as if they were a part of your family. Again, I don't care about the politics. I care about what God's word says. Church, you want to talk about what it looks like to be different or other than from the world? Love people who feel like physical and spiritual strangers in your community. What what is interesting about the historical context of verses 33 and 34 is that the call to care and love strangers is a call to love and care people who don't even identify with the faith of Israel. A person sojourning in the presence of Israel would would not have been a person who believed in Yahweh, but probably was an idolater. Which means Israel was called to be a holy influence on the sojourner. Israel, and now the church, is to display the love of God with the hope to win over the sojourning stranger. Now, there is a difference between influencing and being influenced. At every corner of the Bible where God's people are influenced by sin and the surrounding culture, God condemns. For example, if you turn the page from Leviticus 19 over to Leviticus 20, that's what you read. You need to be holy. That is not holiness. But Israel is called to consecrate itself from the world. To be consecrated from the world does not mean isolation. God's people are called to demonstrate God's good and loving nature by being an influence to those who come in their midst. Why is Israel supposed to care for the stranger in such an intimate way? Answer, Because that's what God did for Israel when they were in Egypt. 
Israel is called to love the stranger in part because that is what they were in Egypt. God wants them and us to remember. Remember what you weren't once were. Remember where you were at and remember what I did for you. The clear call to remember is in verse 34. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You remember? God is telling his people, just as I cared and provided for you while you were slaves and strangers in Egypt, so you must also care for the stranger in your midst. What God is asking Israel to do is nothing different than what he had already done for them and continued to do. And here's what I find remarkable about this particular command, especially as it's laid out in the context of God caring for Israel when they were strangers in Egypt. When God gave this command, Israel was not even in the promised land. They were parked out at Mount Sinai. They were still sojourning themselves. And God still commands them to love the stranger who crossed their path. In my mind, it's as if God is saying, if, if you don't have a permanent home, that's fine. It doesn't matter. You are still called to pursue holiness by loving the stranger in your midst. And caring for strangers and pursuing holiness was never and is still not based on nationality, skin color, economic status, or geography. Again, this is picked up in the New Testament. And what we'll see in a moment is that elect exiles are called by God to care for strangers. That's what it's a language First Peter uses. You are Christian in elect exile. And you're still called to care for strangers. This should highlight the point that this world is not our home. But we live, but while we live on this earth, we are to love others with the same love that God has for us. Only a few verses earlier in Leviticus 19, we read this command from God. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And we can go to the New Testament and pull that out as well. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The New Testament carries this command forward and gives it a name. I've already told you, it's hospitality. And in the New Testament, we see that loving others through hospitality becomes broader than what I've shared so far in Leviticus 19, verses 33 and 34. Here are at least three groupings in which the church is to extend hospitality. Number one, we extend hospitality to one another in the church. First uh, Peter 4, 8 and 9, above all, Love each other deeply because, God, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, right? When you come over to my house, like, I can't be grumbling. Oh, I can't believe Rick's coming over, you know? It's the opposite. We're going to open our homes with love. Also in 3 John 5.8, it seems to indicate that we are to extend hospitality to those who go out in mission and then come back and they look for care from the church. Today we have contextualized this as those who do foreign missions. Lily and Ellie, when they come back, this church will extend hospitality and care to them. Third, and more to my point for today's sermon, we need to demonstrate hospitality to strangers. So there are other aspects of hospitality, but I am 
honing in on one specific area. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. You hear the author of Hebrews picking up on the language in Leviticus 19. I have several thoughts about this passage as it connects with the Old Testament. I think the author of Hebrews had Genesis 18 and 19 in mind. You might remember Abraham and Lot. They extended hospitality to people that know who they were. Ended up being angels, which is kind of cool. But that's the point. They were extending it to individuals without knowing who they were. More to the point, the author of Hebrews is doing a play on words here. Here's how. Uh, the Greek word that is often translated into the English term hospitality in verse 2 is a combination of two concepts. Uh, the first is phileo. That sounds familiar. It's because it's one of the several words in Greek for love. This, uh, wor this word for love generally means brotherly love or to love like a brother. Just think of the nickname of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That same root for hospitality in verse 2 is also in verse 1. We read it, let brotherly love continue. So the author of Hebrews, picking up on the theme in Leviticus 19, also reflecting on Genesis 18 and 19, is calling us to extend love to others. Why do I say others? The second part of the Greek word for hospitality literally means stranger or immigrant. So Paul had to take two words and put them together, and now we have hospitality. Love the stranger. Love the immigrant. This crystallizes the connection and the command in Leviticus 19, 33, and 34, and our responsibility as a church to love the stranger in our midst. Loving the stranger is in the DNA of God's church. I'm going to get emotional here for a moment. Um, this last Thursday and Friday, a sermon example for caring for strangers landed in my lap. It was like a pastor's dream, right? I'm looking for an example. It's like right there. Here's what happened. For several weeks, I've been in communication with Tim and Ann. I've changed their names. I'll call them Tim and Ann. And Tim and Ann live in Des Moines. Iowa. Just in case you don't know where Des Moines is, they'll say Iowa. Tim and Ann contacted me because of their interest in Redemption Hill Church, the church plant that I'm leading to Des Moines. Tim and Ann were members of a Sovereign Grace Church in Arizona before moving back to Iowa several years ago. Well, I, I told Tim and Ann in an email that myself and several guys are going to make a quick trip to Des Moines for a few meetings, which is what we did Thursday stayed overnight, came back Friday. And though we had never met face to face, they opened up their home and their lives to us. Here's an excerpt from her email when she realized we would arrive in Des Moines while they were both at work, is what she said. Sounds great, Sean. There's a possibility we won't be here when you drop off your things, but that's okay. The front door will be open 
which is totally an Iowa thing, by the way. <laughs> Feel free to make yourself at home. There will be a room with two twin beds for two guys and one room with a king bed. I figure you guys can fight among yourselves as who goes where. I imagine the lead pastor has its perks. <laughs> so the king will be yours. I'm not making this up. I read this to the guys that were with me. I'll make sure that there are some snacks on the counter. There's soda and water in the fridge. End of email. Tim and Ann are a little bit older than me and their grandparents. Tim is disabled, has a rare disease that I cannot explain. At this point in the story, I can stop and say, look at their example as followers of Christ who love strangers. There's more to the story that I find remarkable. Due to work, I turned in late Thursday night after Tim and Ann went to bed, and the guys were still awake. It was then I learned that Tim and Ann were sleeping downstairs. One person had a couch, and the other one had a cot. And they gave up their king-size bed so that I could be comfortable and sleep on it. It put me in tears. It was remarkable. As a stranger, I was a direct recipient of receiving the love of Christ through biblical hospitality. Here's a definition of hospitality that I saw on display with Tim and Ann. I found this in this very helpful, helpful book called The Simplest Ways to Change the World. Biblical hospitality is the polar opposite of cultural trends to separate and isolate. It rejects the notion that life is best spent fulfilling our own self-centered desires, bordered off from others in, our, in the private fortress we call homes. Biblical hospitality chooses to engage rather than unplug, open rather than close, initiate rather than sit idly. At the core, biblical hospitality is obeying God's command to love and welcome others into areas of life that God has placed you in. Romans 15, 7, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Living life on mission by extending hospitality is not only a pursuit of holiness, but it's emulating Christ. Just think about it for a moment. In love, Christ welcomed us into his family. As spiritual sons and daughters, Christ extended hospitality to us while we were spiritual orphans. We were strangers in the eyes of God. More than strangers, we were enemies of God because of our sin. But now, but now, if you've been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, God has made you his friend. If God has given you the faith to see the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have received the greatest gift and act of hospitality. You've been brought near to God, and he loves you. Now, Christian, just as God took you from being a stranger to a native-born, so now we are to demonstrate that hospitality to 
others. And so the question becomes, are we, as a church, living out biblical hospitality? Are we pursuing holiness by extending hospitality to the stranger in our midst? Obeying this command has implications. And sometimes, frankly, think about my own home, uncomfortable implications, right? So what I want to do with the remainder of our time is give several practical thoughts about what it can look like to care for strangers in our midst. Here are three filters you can think out of when it comes to extending hospitality. Hospitality in your home, hospitality in this church, and then hospitality in our community. And when I say community, I do mean Burnsville, but I also mean where you work, where you go to school, etc. First, our homes. Our homes might be the greatest asset we have when it comes to extending hospitality to others. John Piper calls us to be strategic in our hospitality to others. He says this, so helpful. Strategic hospitality asks, how can I draw the most people into a deep experience of God's hospitality by the use of my home? Who are the people who could be brought together in my home most strategically for the sake of the kingdom? Strategic hospitality is not content to just have the old clan over again and again. It strategizes how to make the hospitality of God known and felt all over the world, from the lowly church member right here to the Gola farmers in Tan, Liberia. Don't ever underestimate the power of your living room as a launching pad for new life and hope and ministry and mission. So I'm not talking about using our homes as entertainment. For example, watching the Vikings win the Super Bowl in February 2019 with friends is great and entertaining. Hugh, I can't wait. You know the implications there. It's not a Bears team or a Packer team. <laughs> but what Piper is saying is strategic and missional hospitality thinks on a different level. It's about inviting others around your dinner table with the purpose of discipleship and gospel advancement. One author says it like this, the secret weapon for gospel advancement is hospitality. And you can practice it whether you live in a house, in an apartment, in a dorm, or a high-rise. You know, how we think about our homes needs to change. In, in preparing for this sermon, I, I got convicted by that. In the ancient world, um, the home was a haven of hospitality. Today, we've created our homes to be a retreat from the world. <coughs> a place to relax. What, what I'm not saying is that the home can't be a place to relax. We all need rest. What I am saying is that we need to move the needle from a place of personal retreat and relaxation to strategic hospitality. We've got we to move the needle a little bit. We've got to move it into the other direction. Our homes can be a tool used by God to extend grace to sinners who desperately need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people all around us who need to see the gospel on display. Here's one practical example how this 
functions in our church. One of many examples, no doubt. Mitch Hagen organized the CARS ministry. Many of you know it. If you don't, CARS is a ministry that serves single moms, single women, widows, financially limited individuals, and others who may need assistance with car repairs. So people come over to the Hagen's house once a month with their car, and while it's being worked on, Becky Hagen and others invite strangers in for a conversation and a meal. Time and again, over a conversation and a meal, the love of God is going forth in word and deed. Biblical hospitality is on display. I'm tempted to quote Mitch right here. It's like, you drop the car off, and it's like, where are they going to go? <laughs> what a great opportunity. Feed them, share the gospel. Not everyone here is going to have a cars ministry. Not everyone here can cook. I make macaroni look like a mess. But every disciple of Jesus Christ can think strategically about how to use their home to reach people with the gospel. I mean, you, you might know the names of your neighbors, but functionally, they could be strangers. Therefore, we need to impress Leviticus 19, 33, and 34 onto our hearts and heed John Piper's advice to be strategic with our homes. Next, the church. What does biblical hospitality look like in this church? Well, let me just say this. Many of you are now members of this church because the love of Christ was extended to you when you first arrived. I hear story after story after story about somebody being hospitable to you and loving you. And that is wonderful. That's, that is something we excel at as a body. That is wonderful to say. It's been wonderful for me when I first became a member here at Sovereign Grace Church to receive from many of you personally and my family as well. It's not just the role of the hospitality team to extend love and care to those strangers. It's a family affair. If someone visits our church and does not stay, may it not be because we didn't love them well. Instead, may the love of Christ through our words and deeds compel strangers to come back so that they will continue to hear and see the gospel at this church. This is going to be important when we go to Burnsville. Because as soon as we get in that building, there's going to be a whole lot of new faces. We need to be ready to love, extend biblical hospitality, invite people over for a meal, being willing to engage in conversations, ask how people are doing, asking where they came from, how they got here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And third, showing hospitality to our community. Listen, Sovereign Grace Church has a unique opportunity to live out Leviticus 19, 33 and 34, Hebrews 13, 1 and 2. It's right ahead of us. At 500 East Travelers Trail, there is a building. A building we have felt called to plant our flag in a 24-7 outpost for ministry. And across the street, down Portland Avenue, 
takes one minute to walk there, are hundreds of people who feel like strangers. People who have come to America for various reasons. And we have the opportunity as a church to love these neighbors with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the opportunity to invite new neighbors into our homes and into our church. We've begun to lay the groundwork, as many of you know or are discovering, with the Bridges Course, which aims to make people aware of Islam. Those are our new neighbors, people who practice Islam. We've said this many times, so I won't belabor the point. There will be many Somali people which we will have the opportunity to engage and extend the love of Christ through biblical hospitality. It's coming. And we need to take awareness, which is what's going on right now, and we need to move into action, which we, by God's grace, will do. Extending hospitality is one of many ways to take action. We want to be a blessing to the individuals who live in our community, whoever they may be, whoever. So as a church, let's be bold about opening our homes. Let's be bold about inviting people in our church, to our church. Let's open our lives to the strangers all around us. Remember what I said earlier. Because of God in Christ, hospitality has been extended to us. We are no longer orphans, but spiritual sons and daughters. We were strangers and sinners in the eyes of God, but now if you've been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you've repented from sin and turned to Jesus, God has made you his friend. If God has given you the faith to see the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ, again, you have received the greatest act of hospitality. You've been brought near to God, and he loves you. So Christian, just look to God Look what he did by, make, by taking you from being a stranger to being a native-born. And let's now demonstrate that kind of love through hospitality and grow in our holiness. Let's pray.